0: Good afternoon. My name is Carlo Perry. I'm a political science and Arabic major at the University of Notre Dame and a recent member of Notre Dame's International Security Certificate Program. Uh, I'm here to welcome you to the fourth episode of the Students Talk Security podcast series. The title of today's podcast is Phantom Warriors What Happened to the Kurds? I'm here with Dr. Gregory Gauss of Texas A&M. m Dr. Gregory Gauss is the incumbent H, John H. Lindsay of 40, uh, 44 Chair and head of the Department of International Affairs at Texas A&M University's Bush School. Prior to this, he held faculty positions at the University of Vermont, Columbia University, and Harvard University. Dr. Gauss graduated from St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia with a degree in political science in 1980 and earned a doctorate in the same subject from Harvard University in 1987. He also studied Arabic at the the American University in Cairo and Middlebury College in, in 1984. He has since been a Fellow for Arab and Islamic Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations in New York, a Fulbright Scholar at the American University in Kuwait, and a Research Fellow at the King Faisal Center for Islamic Studies and Research in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Dr. Gowz focused his research on international politics in the Middle East with a special focus on the Arabian Peninsula and the Persian Gulf. He has published three books, most notably The International Relations of the Persian Gulf. Uh, his articles have been published in Foreign Affairs, Foreign Policy, Middle East Journal, Security Studies, Washington Quarterly, and The National Interest, among others. And he has testified before both the House Committee on International Relations and the Senate Foreign, Foreign Affairs Committee on issues pertaining to the Persian Gulf. He continues to be a renowned expert on the Middle East on Middle East or in politics today. Uh, Dr. Gauss. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to give uh, everyone a, a brief context to the conversation we're about to have. Is that all right? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, as everyone knows, the Middle East has been uh, of recent uh, not the most stable of places, and uh, a big part of that has been ISIS's presence. Um, uh, but but uh, within the last year and a half, year and a half or so, uh, it appears that ISIS, for the large part, in the Levant has uh, has been uh, quashed, and a, a big part of that has been actually roles of uh, native uh, peoples that have been implemented by by Western um, powers, such as the Kurds, to um, to establish an armed presence in the region uh, to counteract the the forces that ISIS has been um, putting out, and and in saying so, we have. Uh, we have to consider the Kurds and their importance in the region um, as this, this pro-Western armed group that uh, played such a, such a large role in ending ISIS, something that, that the world feared for such a long time. And now it seems like Western media and uh, anywhere that you could seek news on the subject, there's essentially science, silence, radio silence on the Kurds. And I find it, and I think that everyone else should find it too, uh, slightly disconcerting that we have uh, an extremely large 30 to 45 million strong group of ethnically homogenous, uh, politically united people with, uh, uh, and an arsenal of U.S. weapons that are essentially uh, radio quiet in the desert. So with that, uh, Dr. Gauss, I, I'd like to open open up discussion um, with this question, Uh what happened to the Kurds?
1: So uh, they didn't go anywhere, that's for sure. Uh, in fact, uh, just yesterday, Sunday, the 30th of September, in the Kurdish regional uh, governance, in, in the Kurdish regional government governance, the three governance in northern Iraq, there was a uh, local elections for the Kurdish parliament. So uh, Kurdish politics is is going on. I think that, that One of the reasons why they're slightly less visible is that they had a real setback in 2017 when they ran a a referendum in the KRG, in the Kurdish areas of Northern Iraq, on the question of independence. And uh, that referendum overwhelmingly passed, but it wasn't supported by any of the regional neighbors, nor by the United States. And in the wake of the referendum, divisions within the Kurdish community basically allowed the government in Baghdad to retake the city of Kirkuk in northern Iraq. Now, Kirkuk is a very interesting and important place for understanding Kurdish politics. Uh, Kirkuk is not officially part of the KRG. In other words, when the Kurdish regional government was set up, uh, Kirkuk fell outside of it. But most Kurdish politicians will tell you that Kirkuk is a Kurdish city and it ought to be part of of any kind of Kurdish self-governing area. Uh, the other interesting thing about Kirkuk is that it has oil fields around it that produce about a million barrels a day of oil. So it could be the basis for uh, uh, government finance in a in a Kurdish autonomous or even independent area. Uh, so the Kurds lost Kirkuk to Baghdad, uh, an enormous blow. And I think that that, you know, from the... The heights of the Kurds being uh, a direct military ally of the United States in the fight against ISIS, the Kurds went to being not as valuable to the United States because the ISIS threat has now been contained, at least, at least for the foreseeable future. And the Kurds kind of created problems for the United States vis-a-vis its relations with Baghdad, vis-a-vis Turkey, and the Iranians were also against this referendum by uh, moving ahead with a referendum that the U.S. encouraged them not to do. So I think that that might be why we don't hear as much about the Kurds.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. Well, with uh, with that in mind, what would you say might be on next on the Kurdish agenda?
1: Well, I think that we have to shift uh, uh, our sights to Syria for what's next, because uh, the Kurds in uh, northwest, northeastern Syria uh, have basically been autonomous from uh, Damascus for, if not since the beginning of the civil war in, in Syria in late 2011, early 2012, certainly for the last number of years. Uh, Damascus has not been able to extend its control over the the Kurdish areas in northeastern Syria, along the Turkish border near Iraq. Uh, When the United States went to fight uh, the Islamic State in Syria, it recruited what it calls the Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF, uh, which is mostly Syrian Kurdish groups. And it, uh, it armed them, helped to arm them, and coordinated with them. And as the campaign against ISIS went from Iraq into Syria, those groups, the SDF, uh, were, were instrumental in, in fighting, uh, ISIS in Syria, including the taking of Raqqa, the, the quote unquote capital of the, of the caliphate of ISIS. So, that's all good. But once again, now that the job that the U S basically went into, uh, Eastern Syria to accomplish is largely accomplished. And now the question is what becomes of this Kurdish autonomous quasi autonomous region within Syria. Uh, it's particularly, uh, uh, sensitive because of Turkey's reaction to all this. Uh, the Turks have a large, Kurdish population within their borders in the southeastern part of Turkey, uh, bordering Syria, bordering Iraq, uh, and they are very sensitive to any notion of, of Kurdish autonomy or independence. Now, they made their peace with the KRG some years ago, and in fact, Turkey has quite a bit of influence, both economic and political, within the KRG in Iraq. But the idea of an autonomous Kurdish region in Syria seem to set the Turkish government of President Erdogan uh, on a very negative uh, path. Uh, Now, partially that's because a lot of the Syrian Kurds uh, have a loyalty to a a Kurdish political group that is related to uh, the, the Turkish Kurdish political party called the PKK, which the Turks have declared a terrorist organization. So this is something of an alphabet soup, KRG, PKK, SDF, but uh, you got to have a program to know the players in this game. So the Turks have been very uh, firm that they are not going to permit these Syrian Kurds to, in effect, set up their own quasi-autonomous, quasi-independent entity on the Turkish border. And, and there have been some uh, harsh words between uh, Ankara and Washington about this. Some threats. The Turks have threatened to come into a town called uh, Menbij, which the the SDF, the the, the Syrian Kurdish forces, ha- were holding with the support of the United States. Uh, that mini crisis eventually got got resolved. But the larger issue of this autonomous Kurdish Syrian entity and what its relationship with Ankara is going to be and what its relationship with Damascus is going to be and what its relationship with the United States is going to be is still up in the air.
0: Well, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because I think that the um, the upset of the power balance in, in that area uh, is, is something very unique to note. I think that uh, in a few of your articles, you actually uh, discuss something of a, a cold war in the Middle East. Am I right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and that, that cold war is, is largely between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, but Turkey has played a role in it, in, particularly in Syria, and to, to a lesser extent in Iraq. Uh, it, it, it really revolves around the collapse of state authority in so many parts of the Middle East, the Arab world in, in particular. Uh, one can look at Yemen, one can look at Libya, one can look at Syria, Iraq, to a lesser extent, Lebanon. Uh, these are places where the authority of the state has either collapsed or has been uh, severely challenged by, by uh, sub-state actors. And in all of these cases, that invites the intervention, uh, military, political, of surrounding states. And that's exactly what we're seeing in Syria, and it's exactly what we're seeing in Iraq.
0: With that in mind, uh, what, would it, what would an armed incursion or uh, response from Iraq or Turkey uh, or even Syria itself uh, look like on, uh, against the Kurds, uh, considering their, their new role in the region?
1: So I don't think that you're going to see an armed effort by the Iraqi government either against the KRG or against uh, uh, Syrian Kurds across the border. I just don't think that they have the, the wherewithal to do that. Uh, the Iraqi government was extremely pleased with its ability to get Kirkuk back. And uh, it runs a real risk of, over, of overstepping, of overreaching. Because uh, the KRG has a, a pretty effective fighting force uh, in its own Kurdish fighters. So I don't think you're going to see Baghdad taking them on. Okay. Damascus is another story, but I think that the Kurds are the least worrisome of of their problems within the Syrian civil war itself. Uh, Damascus seems to be very focused on trying to wrap up the, the one province that's still basically held uh, by, by rebels, uh, and that's in Idlib. And that also borders Turkey and the Turks are involved in that, and, and I think that that's going to be the focus rather than any large-scale Damascus move against the Kurds. Finally, Turkey. Uh, the Turks are worried about Idlib. They have sent troops into Idlib. Uh, the Turks have been supportive of the rebels against the Assad regime for years, but as that civil war, it becomes increasingly clear that Assad and Assad's allies, the Iranians and the Russians, are going to win. I think the Turks are trying to minimize their losses here and prevent uh, the outflow of, A, a large number of refugees, even more refugees from Syria into Turkey, and specifically within that to prevent uh, the more radical Islamist factions, the Al-Qaeda-affiliated factions, the ISIS-affiliated factions within Idlib from coming into Turkey. So I think that, that the Turks are going to be concentrated mostly on the Idlib front as well. In that sense, the Kurds have something of a breathing space.
0: Hmm. That's, that's fascinating, really. Uh, when, we, when we talk about uh, the, the movement of peoples in the region and the destabilizing effects that that can have, uh, whether it be um, you know, resource uh, exhaustion or terrorist group breeding grounds, uh, why doesn't the U.S. do more to support a, a local group like the Kurds that is uh, liberally minded um, and and for all intents and purposes, you know, a, along with U.S. policy, uh, why don't they do more uh, to support them in a region where its own track record of on-the-ground intervention and state building has been uh, more or less less than optimal?
1: So I think that uh, a lot of that has to do with Uh, the desire of the United States to deal with the governments who worry about Kurdish autonomy, in this case particularly uh, the government in Baghdad and the government in Ankara. Uh, The U.S. has equities with those central governments. Uh, And and I think there's also a certain inertia. Uh, The U.S. is used to dealing with states. We're not used to dealing with non-state actors. We tend to think of non-state actors as destabilizing and dangerous. Frequently we call them terrorists. Uh, That's not been the case obviously with the Kurdish regional government in Iraq. The United States has had a a positive relationship with the KRG. But I think that, that there's a profound reluctance on the part of outside powers to come in and try to redraw the regional map and And uh, to some extent, that's what uh, a greater commitment of the United States to the to the Kurd cause would mean. Uh, so I think there's a there's there's a real reluctance to do that, a real reluctance to alienate uh, relations with the governments in in Turkey and iraq, central uh, the central government in Iraq. And thus, there's a lot of caution on that score. Now, you add to that, the Trump administration comes in and you have a president not everyone in his administration, but you have a president who's profoundly suspicious of involvement in the Middle East, who who doesn't think that the United States should be that involved. It, it, there's some inconsistencies here. He's ramping up a big uh, pressure campaign on Iran, but he clearly is reluctant on Iraq and Syria to get the United States more involved. Now, other people in his administration would like to be more involved. It's clear. Uh, but Add add to the general reluctance of the United States to alienate Baghdad and Ankara, and to be seen as trying to redraw the regional map. Add into that the president's reluctance to get uh, further involved in in civil wars in the Middle East.
0: Hmm. Well, aside from the U.S. question, um, I, th- I think it might be might be also interesting to note that Israel is perhaps just as alone as the Kurds in the fact that nearly all of their neighbors don't want them there. Uh, do you foresee any strengthening of diplomatic ties between these groups? I know that there were talks, there have been like informal talks in the past between uh, the KRG in, in Erbil and, uh, and Tel Aviv, uh, now Jerusalem. Um, and if so, what, what would the implications of these talks, these relations be for the region?
1: Well, the Israelis have been in touch with the with Kurdish groups for decades. And it didn't start. It didn't start with the KRG. Uh, the Israelis have funneled arms to Kurdish rebels against the Iraqis as far back as the 60s. They've had political connections as far back as the 40s. So, uh, I mean, it was part of an Israeli strategy that anybody who fights Arabs, we want to help. Uh, and, and so that, there's nothing new to that. I also would take issue with the comparison. I, I, don't, I actually don't think there's really any comparison between Israel and the Kurds. Israel's is a state. Uh, it has the strongest army in the Middle East. It's, it, it has nuclear weapons. And it, it actually has pretty good relations with Jordan and pretty good relations with Egypt, two countries with which it has peace treaties. Uh, nobody except uh, Iran and, and Islamist groups are cha- and that's important, but, but no Arab state is now challenging uh, the right of Israel to have a territorial state in the Middle East. Uh, the the Assad government uh, was on the verge of signing a peace treaty with the Israelis back in 2000, uh, and, and it would take another podcast to explain why that didn't happen. Uh, and, and even Saudi Arabia is dealing with the Israelis informally. So I think the Israelis are in a lot better position than the Kurds. Uh, Now, an Israeli-Kurdish alliance, yeah, but that runs into the same problems as the U.S. making a greater commitment to the Kurds. Uh, The Israelis want to have a decent relationship with the Turks. Yeah, that's uh, been problematic under Erdogan, but they, they have equities there as well. And thus, uh, for the Israelis, uh, the question is if, these, if the Kurds aren't going to fight Arab states, if the biggest problem for the Israelis is not uh, a hostile Syrian government or a hostile Iraqi government, but rather uh, civil conflict and the, and, the, and the collapse of state authority in Syria and the weakening of state authority in Iraq that allows radical Islamist organizations to establish themselves in these territories, then you know, maybe the strategic calculus that led the Israelis to have a, a, a strong relationship with the Kurds in the past might be changing.
0: Hmm. Do you think that uh, in, in the near future, not necessarily um, very near, but, but relatively near future, uh, an officially recognized Kurdistan would ever be realized?
1: An internationally recognized Kurdistani state? You mean like with a seat the UN and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't bet on it in the near future. Uh, I just see the constellation of forces in the region as being uh, profoundly hostile. Now, one could argue that, well, who cares about Iraq? The state's weak. The Kurds control their territory. It's true. But they control a landlocked territory. Uh, the United States is... Uh, a naval power. We're, we're pretty good at assisting, uh, allies and clients who, who, to whom we can drive ships up to their shores. Uh, landlocked countries are a different story. Uh, the Kurds have only three ways out, so to speak, if they want to, uh, you know, to get stuff in and to get stuff out through Turkey, through Iran, through Iraq. And, uh, None of those governments want to see an independent Kurdistan. And thus, I think particularly given the failure of the the play in 2017 with the referendum that just not only didn't get any international support, but led to a, a defeat for the KRG and the loss of Kirkuk, I'm not sure there, we're going to see the Kurdish leadership try to make that play again in the near future. It's always going to be there. Kurdish nationalism is always going to be there, but I doubt that it, we're going to see an internationally recognized Kurdish state anytime soon.
0: It, I know that your um, your specialty is on is in the Arabian Peninsula and Persian Gulf. Uh, with, with the heating up of tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran, do you think that the Saudi Arabian government um, would have it in its own interest to use the Kurds? Uh, as a destabilizing force against Iran, considering the proximity
1: that 's a tough one uh, I, I I think that there's plenty of people in Saudi who are probably thinking that way. Uh, I think that we're also seeing some amount of of activity in other uh, among other ethnic minority groups in Iran, whether it be arabs in Ahwaz or baluchis in south uh, southeastern iran and so i i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, put it past the Saudis to have been in touch with Iranian Kurds. Uh, but the Saudis are, are in the midst of trying to improve their relations with Baghdad. Uh, for years, the Saudis basically uh, didn't try to assert influence in Baghdad, and they left the field open to the Iranians. And I think the Saudis are now realizing that wasn't the greatest strategic move. And they're trying to to improve their relations with the government in Baghdad. And to the extent that they start messing around in the Kurdish areas, that raises real questions for the government in Baghdad. So it seems to me that, that uh, there's, no, there's no particular reason right now that the Saudis are going to make a big investment in the Iraqi Kurdish area, and they would need to do that in order to have access to the Iranian Kurds.
0: If if there was a future situation in which uh, relations with the Kurds was was necessitated, um, what what would that look like? Like between the Saudi Arabians and, and the Kurdish people, um, or or even the Iranians and and the Kurdish people, uh, what would what would that look like? Considering they're their non-state actors still.
1: Well, the KRG is 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 this kind of hybrid. It's it's a it's a re it, it, the KRG is acknowledged by the Iraqi constitution. It's part and parcel of the Iraqi political system. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, a, an American state, but with much, much more power. So uh, the KRG is actually uh, uh, one of these, uh, neither fish nor foul. It's not an independent state. It's part of the Iraqi state. No one, no other government recognizes it as an independent state but it has a lot of the qualities of statehood. It has its own army. It has its own budget. It has its own uh, governing structure. Uh, it to some extent conducts its own international affairs. Uh, and, and so that's, that makes it unique. It's not a non-state actor like, uh, well, like ISIS or Al Qaeda. It's, you know, what it's probably closest to is the Palestinian Authority but it's got more independence from Baghdad than the Palestinian authority has from the Israelis. So the KRG is going to develop a relationship with the Baghdad government. That's going to take time as, as the Baghdad government kind of reestablishes itself as a, as a serious governing entity, you know, from the weakness of, of the collapse of Saddam's regime, the American occupation, and then the, the ISIS challenge, uh, and they're going to, I think, work out some kind of political modus vivendi within the, the, the outline of the Iraqi state as we see it today. I think that that's going to be the key political uh, challenge for both Baghdad and Erbil. Uh, and I, I don't think that you'll see uh, other regional states kind of trying to encourage Kurdish independence. At the expense of Baghdad.
0: And do you think that um, going forward, uh, do you think that the world should turn its eyes towards Kurdistan? Do you think we should, we should keep uh, a watchful eye on these people uh, as a potential playing piece in the Middle East? Or do you think that uh, their role is essentially done? They, they, played their, they played their part in the defeat of ISIS, and um, now they, they can sit on the porch and drink tea. Um, and enjoy the days of uh, semi-autonomy?
1: Well, I don't know if they're drinking tea, Uh, (laughs) but uh, I think that uh, nothing is permanent in politics, particularly in the Middle East. Uh, Of course, you got to keep an eye on them. They're a player. Uh, But I don't see them becoming... A vastly more important player in the near term. I think that that the United States should maintain the the good relationship that it has with the the KRG. I think we have to be very cautious about you know Kurds in in Syria, Kurds in Iran. You know, uh, establishing too close a relationship with them is uh, tantamount to challenging the territorial integrity of those states. And that would be a difficult thing to do because it, 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 in, it in essence makes you uh, an enemy of those states. Uh, and we already have enough problems with the Syrians. We have enough problems uh, with the Iranians. I'm not sure that we need to increase that. And, and there's a further risk I mean, if you encourage uh, the, the Kurdish populations of Syria and Iran to uh, take up arms uh, in an even more aggressive way against their governments, and then the United States decides not to back them, then we're, you know, what, what, what responsibility do we have for their fate? Uh, I think that we shouldn't lead them to believe that we're going to be very supportive of them and thus... Uh, encourage them to rise up and then, and then leave them holding the bag. Uh, I think that would be a a very irresponsible thing for us to do.
0: So uh, the moral of the story is that we probably won't be seeing any U S backed Kurdish uh, rebellions in in the Middle East anytime soon. I don't think so. Well, uh, Dr. Gauss, uh, what you've had to say today has been um, really, really fantastic and insightful. And on the behalf of the University of Notre Dame and myself, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time and wisdom with us. I'd also like to share a special thanks to Professor Michael Desch of the Notre Dame International Security Center for arranging Dr. Gauss's and my own introduction. And I'd like to thank Anika Johnson, the program manager at the Notre Dame International Security Center, for all her technical support and patience in making this podcast a reality. Uh, I'm Carlo Perry uh, signing off. Please join us next week for another fascinating Students Talk Security podcast found on the Notre Dame International Security website. Thank you. If you'd like to follow the Notre Dame International Security Center seminar series, please visit our website at politicalscience.nd.edu forward slash ndisc forward slash or follow us on twitter at hashtag nd underscore isc please note that opinions expressed in the seminar series are solely those of the participants or speakers not of the international security center or the university of notre dame which take no institutional position music for
1: this podcast is licensed under sample swap